Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, aka RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Michael Earp is a non-binary writer and bookseller living in Nam, Melbourne, Australia. They are editor of and contributor to Kindred, 12 Queer, hashtag Love Oz YA Stories in 2019, and Everything Under the Moon, Fairy Tales and a Queer Alight in 2023, which has just come out, with another anthology coming from Fremantle Press in June 2024. Their writing has also appeared in Archer, The Age, Pop Matters, The Victorian Writer, Aurealis and Underdog, hashtag Love Oz YA short stories. For 20 years, they have worked between bookselling and publishing as a children's and young adult specialist. In 2021, they are awarded the Australian Booksellers Association Bookseller of the Year for their role managing the Little Book Room, the world's oldest children's bookstore. A passionate advocate for LGBTQIA plus literature for young people, they established the hashtag OzQueerYA Tumblr to catalogue all Australian young adult fiction containing queer content and characters. Representation of all people in the literature available to readers of all ages is the ethos that motivates their entire career. They have a Master's in Children's Literature and a Bachelor of Education in Early Childhood Teaching and previously served as committee chair for the Hashtag Love Oz YA campaign. Tea is their source of all their power. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. We're thrilled. We're thrilled to to finally have you on the show. So thank you. Um, an opening question that we ask all our guests is: How has your work influenced your? Yeah, this was a really interesting one. Um particularly the way it's phrased with the work influencing identity. And I know you could easily swip it, swap it around um, and mix it up a bit. But um, it got me thinking how uh, being an advocate for queer literature has helped me, I guess, just be more comfortable in my own skin. Like if I'm out there shouting about why we need queer books, then I should practice a little bit of self-love as well and uh, not not stress so much about performing identity in any particular way or um, that type of thing. So, yeah, but then I try and push that back into my own writing as well, uh, that sort of self-acceptance and openness. Beautiful. Excellent. Thank you very much. So I just wanted to uh, introduce uh, for our listeners your latest anthology, Everything Under the Moon, Fairy Tales and Queer Alight. And uh, Michael Earp is the editor as well as a contributor in this book. Uh, Some damsels don't want to be rescued. Some curses don't need to be broken. And some of the best happy ever afters won't be found in storybooks. Think you know fairy tales? Think again. 
These 12 fairy tales have been spun through a queer lens to reflect our world and stories as old as time. From the furthest reaches of space and the darkest depths of the forest to the street just around the corner, this anthology will excite, challenge and move you. Featuring stories from some of the biggest names in young adult fiction, Everything Under the Moon is an illuminating celebration of queer love and identity. Lastly, illustrated by up-and-coming talent Kit Fox, this collection includes stories by Michael Earp, Alison Evans, Helena Fox, Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner, Will Kostakis, Jess Layton, Gary Lonesborough, Amber McBride, Abdi Nazman, Maggie Takoda Hall, Alexandra Villasante, and Lily Wilkinson. Congratulations, Michael, on uh, Everything Under the Moon. It's a beautiful book and uh, physically beautiful as well with its hardcover and the black and gold and green. Yes. And it, it's a book uh, I feel that you you want to savor and dip into, and not I wanted to binge read it, but um, <laughs> it, you know it is, it's it's very Moorish, and I loved your story, the keyhole, and oh, thank you. how it's contemporary and queer yet had those timeless fairy tale qualities about it, and for me the the description, Dim's clothing especially, uh, just. Yeah. So can you please tell us how this anthology came about? Sure. Well, four years ago when Kindred was released into the world, I was riding the high of having that just be out there and thought to myself, wouldn't it be great fun to do this again? Um, you know, it's always, it's a good thought at the time. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then you go through all the years of work to get it here. So yeah, it has been four years that I've been working on it. Uh, around about two years ago uh, or 18 months to two years ago was when we signed with the firm and started uh, gathering the rest of the contributors in earnest. But um, I guess I've always been drawn to fairy tales because of the way they're so plainly spoken. I, I really like how they just tell you how things are and there's not enough, there's not enough detail for you to question the details you're given and yeah. so you just have to be like oh okay I guess they were uh, a terrible woman because it's here in it's here in the text or you know whatever the, you just have to roll with it and so I liked both the idea of playing with that to to sort of think around all the space that's left in the details that aren't given but then also to be able to tell stories where the information that's presented is queer and the reader just has to accept that as given as well. Yeah, I love that. There's something that's quite timeless about it, even though there's some that are contemporary. I just wanted to read this uh, out from the forward, which I, I really thought was fantastic. Tales that capture our collective fascination do so at their own peril. Stories passed down in the oral tradition can be edited and revised as society learns and grows. But they are frozen at the moment they are set down. And all these years later, traditional fairy tales are ripe for scrutiny. Their supposedly universal truths about life need to be plucked out, examined and challenged. In the re they beg to be retold, to continue to evolve as they would have done in the mouths of storytellers. You've given these uh, fairy tales that evolution and you've allowed them to continue to grow and, and 
almost catch up with society. So was that sort of the ethos right at the beginning or was it just? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, if I'm honest, I could have probably written collection of short stories myself because adapting fairy tales is something that I love to do. And that thought did cross my mind. But at the same time, the whole point of an anthology is to get different perspectives. And I knew that telling a whole bunch of stories from just my point of view wouldn't capture what I'm trying to do with this project, which is show that everyone has a different point of view. And if you like with the simple brief of choose a fairy tale and retell it through a queer lens, uh, just the variety that we got back was incredible. And that's what excites me about this kind of work. Yeah. So is anthology, this is your your second anthology and and you have another one. Yes, uh, there's another one year. on the way. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. Um, so is this a space you want to continue exploring? Is there... Um, Look, I think I'm always open to it but at the same time I'm ready personally to focus on novel length works um like full length works for myself both uh like I am currently working on a memoir which is a bit more in depth and reflective and not at all for the young adult audience but um I also am super keen to get back to some of my poor neglected young adult manuscripts that are waiting for me to have the mental capacity to return I've I'll always love an anthology I love short stories uh as a form because uh I have ADHD I have a very short attention span and so being able to just read a story at a time is something that I really appreciate and the whole world that can be captured in a short story is brilliant Mm. uh so I'm not saying I'll never work on another anthology again because I'm certain that I will. I feel drawn to them. Partially, I I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and realised that I think part of it is also because I'm such a book nerd and I've been a bookseller most of my life, I'm just, I'm so passionate about other people's writing and wanting to talk about writers that I love that I kind of use anthologies as an excuse to just work with people that I that I really like myself. So I'm like, oh, mm. let's just get let's get a party to happening and we'll make a book out of it, basically. That's fantastic. Cause I was gonna ask how you go about selecting your contributors or whether you do a call out or Yeah. So there um every anthology approaches this differently. Yeah. The ones that I have edited, I have kind of masterminded who I want and approach them. And then if they say yes or no, then I'll keep approaching people until I have the right number. But I'm always thinking about the breadth of representation and I'm trying my hardest to make sure that I am not too heavily weighted in any one identity, Yeah, um, which can be difficult when you are trying to rely on existing traditionally published authors because traditional publishing has a long history of very narrowly focusing on the mainstream. And so it can be really difficult to find the voices that you want when you're also trying to find them from published authors. Yes, I guess also trying to find that uh, intersectionality within yeah. yeah. Which is really important because even though we have a very wide 
range of identities in everything under the moon each one of those is simply one person's perspective from that identity or their intersection of identities and so they like no one in this book speaks on behalf of all people that share their like and I think that that kind of gets lost in the discussion when it comes to diversity and representation a little bit uh, as a marketing tool people see oh I've got that one gay male book so check that that box is looked after or you know whatever but um at the end of the day there are so many different ways of being queer and uh and then yeah other minorities as well like cultural minorities and where they blend and different abilities when you're um getting disabled voices included as well it's um it's really important absolutely And, and one of the things I loved about your story was because I'm not ADHD was just getting a glimpse of, of what that's like that character you know and I, I think that's the 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 absolute gift of when you do have something diverse like these um you know like everything under the moon is not only do you see your own experience or your own sort of self reflected but you're also getting to experience all these others yes which is just honestly it's such a gift and it's just such a privilege found it really interesting that the adhd representation in my own story uh only came into it through the editorial process like i had originally written rory just as a character that admittedly is very much like me i studied fashion for a year when I was 19. Um, I, uh, you know, get very caught up in the moment and can easily be distracted. But I'd written all these sort of elements into the story and Meg Wheel and the editor said to me, like, it just, it didn't quite make sense to his motivation. And so through that discussion, it became apparent that I should also be talking about, um, yes, he has ADHD and yes, he he takes medication for it, but if he hasn't taken his medication, you know, his mind tends to wander and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So, but I'm so thrilled with where it ended yeah. because if I'd erased that from myself, like I did in earlier drafts, then the book would be poorer for it. Oh, I think it's it's part of Rory. That's yeah. that's part of Rory's character. Uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um. Fairy tales uh, can be quite dark. <laughs> yes, yes, they can. I recently um, listened to the audio book of the um, first edition of the Grimm's Fairy Tales, and oh. I can tell you, like, pe- most people dip in and out of fairy tales, but when you listen to, like, 14 hours of nonstop fairy tales, it's oh. it gets a bit heavy where you're just like, oh, all of these terrible things are happening. Anyway, sorry, finish No, up. no, no, no. Well, this is a, that, absolutely. And I, I also like to add forward, you know, this idea of normal and the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> but particularly, and then looking through like that fairy tale lens where you do have, there's the stranger or there's the wood and there's, you know, all of these symbolism uh you know and motifs that you can play with within that and that sort of flipping it so it's our queer experience is centered and then you've got that so can you tell me a little bit about some of the surprises or obviously with no spoilers or stories that came back to you and thought wow this is really 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'll try to just touch on a few rather than yes, going into yeah. too much detail on any one because just read it, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, for example, Helena Fox retold Hansel and Gretel, uh, but she, right from almost the opening line, you can tell that she's playing with that idea of the things we drop to then follow our way back home. And so, you know, the the morsel, because it's called morsels, and so what do we leave behind to follow back to ourselves? And uh, I just thought that was beautiful, beautifully done. Uh, Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner's story together, that's a retelling of Rapunzel, but set in space. But also what I love about it is the way it really questions, does the rescuee even want to be rescued? Like who is rescuing whom in these narratives, uh, which again, can play out in all kinds of ways, but putting it through a queer lens and then just questioning, like, who who even asked you to come and rescue me kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, I love, I love that sort of thing. And then Abdi Nazamain's story, like, he surprised me by saying that he wanted to retell uh, Pinocchio. And I thought, oh, is that, is that a fairy tale in the way that we think of fairy tales? But it, I feel it follows all the tropes. It includes, there is the blue fairy in it. So, you know, not. And he did this gorgeous retelling set in a sort of post-pandemic world, a boy who's grown up purely learning through school on Zoom and just wants to go on a class excursion and, you know, meet real people. But his father's very hesitant about that. And so it's got this gorgeous metaphor of when you learn who you are, you become yourself, you become a real version of yourself. And um, yeah, which is really, really lovely. Yeah. So, I mean, I could literally go through all of the stories, but we won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's such a treat. And, uh, you know, I think it's one that hopefully is going to be around for years and years because, like I said, is that timeless world. A firm press really wanted to make it a keepsake, a treasury, Okay. Um, wanted it to look like any other fairy tale collection that you might yes. find in that gorgeous gifty book section in the mm. bookstore. And they absolutely delivered on that promise. Oh, absolutely. And I think for, you know, if people aren't buying it straight away, um, then what are you doing? But also, you know, it's a perfect Christmas present. Wow. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Add that under the tree for our writer listeners who are out there who might be thinking about, oh, I think I want to make an analogy. <laughs> Prepare yourself for so much work. Yeah. Any sort of, I guess, first steps or any sort of uh, advice around, you know, besides it's going to take four years of your life. Um, but yeah, what? Yeah, what would be your sort of advice around that or guide or... Yeah, yeah uh, so anthologies specifically, the way I've sort of come up with each of my anthologies is I try and think of what I'm not seeing in, in that space. And, like, I should preface all of this by saying anthologies are not bestsellers. They, like, you can't assume that you're going to, like, top the charts with anything. Publishers are very wary of publishing anthologies. Some of them use it for ways to sort of build contacts with more authors that they don't already have on their lists. But then, like, 
they really, you really have to justify why your anthology idea needs to be done and how it's different from everything else that's out there. And so the way I put everything under the moon together, for example, was um, came up with the idea. I actually asked a couple of authors who I had met or were friends with personally if they would consider A, being a part of it, and B, writing the story for me before I even had a contract so that I could use it as part of the submission. Um, And so I was very touched that both Lily Wilkinson and Gary Lonsborough wrote their stories for me, you know, a good year and a half before we even got anyone like looking at it uh, or signing up, which was incredible because it it was their stories uh, that really helped capture a publisher, the publisher's attention. Um, But then I also approached some authors not to write a story, but just to indicate that if this were to go ahead, would they be involved? Just so that the pitch itself is strong, but then you also don't want to fill the anthology before you've pitched because publishers will want some level of involvement in massaging the rest of the list and approaching people from there. So, yeah, that's that's how I went about this. It's a similar process to how I did Kindred. However, I didn't I didn't get people to write stories in advance for Kindred. I just got a few people to say, yes, I'll be in this if it goes ahead. Yeah. And, um, and then pitched it that way. Basically, be as thorough as you can with uh, your idea and the research you do around it. Don't waltz into a pitch thinking that, you're the only person to have ever thought up this idea because like there's a good chance that publishers are aware of other projects already on the go or that have been published that you might have, you know, not seen in your research. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think it's, um, it's good to have a vision and, and make that vision as clear as possible. And now we have Bookstagram book reviewer, Grace. Hello. How are you, Grace? I'm going very well, thank you. Excellent. And what do you have for us this episode? Oh, we have a bit of a spooky read, this one. So we've got Watch Over Me by Nina LaCour, and it's got ghosts. Good one for Halloween. Oh, it's perfect. Do you want to hear about it? Yes, please. Okay, so it was... First off, it's exceptional. It's unnerving and hauntingly beautiful. I was captivated from page one and read it all within 24 hours. Nina's books always make me feel so much. And this one was no exception. So I've actually written down the blurb because it just perfectly encapsulated it for me, which was newly graduated from high school. Mila has aged out of the foster care system. So when she's offered a job and a place to live on an isolated part of the California coast, she immediately accepts. Maybe she'll finally find a new home, a real home. The farm is a refuge, but it also is haunted by the past, and Mila's own memories are starting to rise to the surface. And the blurb says so much, but it also says nothing at all. Everything about the story was gripping. I didn't know if what was happening was real or something that Mila had imagined. The side characters were amazing and their stories felt just as crucial as Mila's. And a very special hug goes out to Lee. Uh, also, did I mention ghosts? One in particular likes to dance and one likes to scare. 
and a shadow is moving, dredging up memories better left forgotten. Uh, I feel like I've been very repetitive with these uh, reviews, but it's a five-star read and I cannot recommend it enough. Fantastic. And where is it set? It's on the California, like in this really remote area of the California coast. It's north of San Francisco and I was trying to see where it is on the map. Like I think it actually is a real place. Right. From looking at it on Google Maps, it was very isolated. And even though there are like towns around, it's where they actually live is like on top of a cliff sort of area. Very Scottish feel as well. And is it a happy book? (laughs) It has a happy ending. I feel like people need to know that. Yeah, Um, well, yeah, because I was thinking ghosts and haunting and it could could be quite spooky. It's very, like, it's a really interesting way of what ghosts are, I guess. Like, it's it's a different take on ghosts. It's not necessarily deadly, I guess you could say. Uh, Okay. It's got a really good plot twist in there and, like, I didn't, see it coming there was a quote at the very beginning it said had we been telling the truth he would have said the place where i'm sending you it looks beautiful but it's haunted and i was like oh gave me the chills yeah that's giving me the chills brilliant no, that sounds excellent so watch over me uh nina lacour thank you very much grace you're welcome as a, a bookseller are you seeing any um I guess any trends or any more representation from certain areas coming through. I um I love talking about this with my other queer bookish friends that if you look back over the last 10 years, say, you know, maybe longer, maybe less, who like it's hard to pinpoint, but yeah. once upon a time we would desperately read any queer book that came out regardless of how much we liked it or not because it was all there was on offer yeah and we the thing that we love now is there's too much to even if you purely read queer books only there's too much to read and so it's brilliant that we can now pick and choose what we want to read within that queer space so Yes, I do think there there has been a lot of progression where I think particularly Australian publishing needs to step up and do more is in trans the trans authors mm-hmm. um, writing their own stories, not having cis authors write trans stories. There's a very big difference. And um, quite frankly, I don't really care how many trans authors, like trans people sign off on a draft of a author, like a book by a cis author. I would just rather read a trans author's version of their own story. But we are seeing more and more of many things each and every day. And that's incredibly heartening and because I've, I've been trying to track them on my, particularly in the young adult space. Yes. On my Tumblr, like that yep. was supposed to be an archive and a, a way to categorize. And it got to the point where it's it's a lot of work now for me to maintain that. And yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll let months go by and think, oh, yeah, once upon a time, I could have let months go by and it's fine. There's no publications. And then I look back over those months and I'm like, oh, now I have to add 12 books to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's just Australian authors, Australian publishing so yeah. you know that's that's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. What is your hope, Michael, for everything under the moon being out in the world? 
Um, I think first and foremost is joy. I just hope people take joy from it. Yeah. Um, because even even the stories that are a bit heavier and deal with darker things, and certainly not all of them do. I feel like there is a yeah. nice balance between the lighthearted and Absolutely. the heavy. But even the darker ones, there is that element of of the narrative that draws on the joy of queer identity and knowing yourself. And so I feel like there's a lot of light and hope yeah. in all of them. And the fact that we deserve a beautiful keepsake book too, like mm-hmm. just not just the cishet, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yes, like, I mean, and that's not de- being derisive of children or children's books. That's my entire world. That's just like what I've seen presented as a beautiful keepsake gift book has always been very heteronormative in its presentation. And so even though this isn't something that you would read with younger children, I feel like once you're a teenager or an adult, the fact that you can enjoy this for yourself and know that you're worthy of it absolutely brings me a lot of joy. Absolutely. It's in all, you know, it gets in all the, the school libraries and, you know, public libraries, obviously, as well. And it's not, it's definitely not one that's just, you know, within a publishing cycle. Like I say, I think this has got such longevity. Like um, your first anthology, like its longevity has been fantastic. Yeah, it still ticks along four years yeah. later. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're clearly... available. Go out and buy that one too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're, clearly, you're clearly onto something. Um, a question that we ask all our guests is a writing question, uh, which is around any advice or top tips for aspiring writers? Um, yeah, I quite often get asked this in this, like, this kind of space. And one of my favourite pieces of advice is just to, to finish it, whatever it is you got to finish it. Um, I, I have people talk to me about uh, projects that they've been tinkering with for like 10 years or what or more, and like every conversation we have revolves around them not knowing what to do with it or anything, and I'm like, well, until it's finished, you can do nothing with it. So uh, I just, you've got to push through to the end it might be that it then goes nowhere or no one wants to publish it, but then you can put that behind and work on something else and you will have grown as an author from that process. Uh, I just really wish more people would see things through to completion, even if it means that's fine, I'll put that in the drawer and do something else. And the other thing that I love to recommend because it absolutely changed my life is find yourself a critique partner or writers group. Uh, I am in two writers groups and they are such a source of inspiration, motivation, joy, community. Uh, We all rely on each other to really um, push through to the ends of our projects and celebrate the wins and console the losses. And uh, I don't think I would have achieved as much as I have if I didn't have, you know, those awesome people behind yeah you don't need to do this alone and i don't know how you could do it alone and that doesn't mean you have to find a giant (laughs) group either like i'm in two groups of about six people each but i know plenty of i have 
plenty of writer friends that purely work with one other person. They're just in a writing pair and that's what works for them. Yeah. It's a really, yeah, find what works for you and find someone at a similar level to you. Don't feel like you need to be in a writer's group with published authors if you're not published because the the level of discussion might not be helpful for you. Maybe you need to be with other people who are also chasing down opportunities and, you know, give each other a leg up. So. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, on the show, we also have a shout-out question. How can listeners connect with you on social, any book events coming up? Yes. So I'm on most platforms as Little Elfman, um, which is the same handle I gave myself at age 14 when, you know, the <laughs> internet was invented. Um, <laughs> uh, but I've just kept it through. So I'm at Little Elf Man on Instagram predominantly, and they call it X these days. Not that I do much there. I do have an author page on Facebook as well. As far as events, I, I'm doing a lot of events in October, but I feel like by the time this gets yeah. on air, they might have passed. Uh, any events that I'm involved in, there's a place on my website that you'll be able to see. I'm running a rewriting fairy tales workshop in November with Brilliant. Writers Victoria. Uh, that's a day-long workshop uh, in the city on a Sunday, the 12th. So, um, yeah, come along if you want to um, mess up some fairy tales with me. That I'm hoping that'll be a good, fun workshop. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. We'll put that up on the social. Yeah, that'd be great. And would you like to shout out any LGBTIQA plus artists, books, art shows, organisations, social media accounts, whatever you like? I mean, how long do you have? Because, <laughs> like... I was once asked this for another interview and like a written one and found myself writing far too many and had to pair it right back. I will start by saying literally every author that is in Everything Under the Moon, uh, do look up all of their other work because uh, I chose them because I genuinely believe they're great writers and they just write incredible things. And so it's uh, very exciting that I can then ask them to write for me. And also Kit Fox, the illustrator, she's pretty new. She's only 19 herself. So wow. yeah, yeah. just stunning how much work she's done to get this book as beautiful as it is. But so she's one to watch going forwards. Yeah. Um, I should probably also mention my partner Teague Lee he's a photographer and uh, he's just in the last year taken up collage and painting and his work focuses on bringing the queer community together to help reverse climate change and so I think the work mm. he's doing is really important mm. um, uh, and then I could probably list a billion different authors but um <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to put everyone to sleep with an endless list of, <laughs> um, of things to read. But yeah, the contributors of the of this anthology, it's, it's partly why I'm capable of gushing over it so much, because I know most of the work is not mine. And <laughs> I would feel very self-conscious if I, it was all me. And I'm like, yeah, it's so great. <laughs> but I'm like, no, you have to read all of these other people's stories. They're, they're absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's, it's such a fantastic book. Um, our closing question for you, Michael, is 
What is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus community? That's uh, a really interesting one. I guess I I have a hope that we can keep celebrating our own diversity as well and uh, not require each other within the queer community to uh, fit too neatly into any sort of boxes, I guess, because, like, the whole point is everyone on the planet, whether they're queer or not, is an individual and, it like, the boxes can be so constraining yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I and I feel like a lot of progress has been made in that sort of area, but, like, I just hope it keeps on growing in that way. And that, I guess, outside of our community, I my hope is that the, the, la- the world at large allows us our little corner to play in and do what we want in without feeling like, we need to answer to or pander to, you know, people who are not sharing our experiences. But at the same time, they're allowed to celebrate it with us. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Thank you so much, Michael. This is you're been very welcome. Fantastic. Thank you. Anytime. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art, and rwrmcdonald.com for links reviews and the interview transcript until next time this is qws podcast